As the NFL offseason starts ramping up a bit, we're at the part where we get vague updates, we get some combine stuff, we get some off-the-field offseason drama. I guess today, and as the shield turns, apparently Justin Fields, Sam, has unfollowed the Bears on social media. Always drama whenever you get the unfollow on social media. It's a big moment. You, you change the Avi. Yeah. You change the Avi. Everyone's like, whoa, what's happening here? Hold on. Follow some guys from some different teams, maybe. At one point, there were two people in this profile picture. Now there's just one. Hold on. Why are they following these people all of a sudden? Wow, some unfollows, some untags. Scrubbed all the evidence off of social media. No more pictures together. Nothing. What's happening there? I guess that's what stage we are at in the Justin Fields Chicago Bears breakup. As you said, there's some rumors going around Twitter that the Bears are set to make their decision within the next week or so. Yeah, that that was what I heard. Um, that's what the rumors on the internet are. That's what the rumors are. You know, who knows if that's true. But Okay. Will okay. be interesting. I mean, I, I do think that the Bears probably need to get going in terms of finding that sweet spot of like trade value for fields if you're going to send him somewhere and also evaluating your quarterback that you're going to take next and the team that wants to trade for him probably wants to kind of know if they're going to get him because they're trying to plan too. like I don't know you know looking at these free agents that are you know set to be free agents whenever the offseason begins versus like okay what are we going to do in the draft are we going to try to trade up for a quarterback CBS Sports kind of compiled the quarterback market Bob, when you're looking at these names, are any of the free agents like standouts to you? Because I'm scrolling it, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of talent. Because number six right now is Carson Wentz on my list. And the number one biggest free agent's a 36-year-old coming off of an Achilles tear. Like, I don't know what kind of long-term solutions teams have at quarterback. So when you look at a Justin Fields who's young, he's probably the number one target this offseason. I agree. I, I feel like I've changed my position from last week. Did a little bit of a flip-flop on Justin Fields. I do think he goes now um, just because of the economics of the deal. I think, Sam, you were even saying that. So uh, you can say you told me so. I, I the, My point in all this, though, is I think Fields immediately, he's not a free agent, but he becomes the most attractive available quarterback that's out there. I mean, uh, Cousins – obviously was producing at a high level last season but that injury at his age that's tough to overcome uh so you look at the list i mean cousins mayfield Tannehill, your guy from the titans the fact Tannehill's number was he number three number three that's a little surprising to me i don't think Tannehill's got much left like i i don't i think Tannehill has been really bad since the middle of two years ago like yeah i think he is what we call shell shot you know after getting hit as many times as he got hit and you combine that with the age and the the waning athleticism and I think Tannehill being number three on this list is all you need to see in terms of the the quality of the quarterback market this isn't me being a homer I actually think besides fields the most attractive guy on this list is Gardner Minshew I really believe that I think he's he has proven now with a couple of teams that he's when he's gotten a chance to be the guy he's he's delivered um, he did it in a short stint with Philadelphia, did it before that, obviously, in Jacksonville, did it with Indianapolis last year. And he's still relatively young, uh, younger certainly than Cousins and 
Tannehill, and um, I just think that um, and and to say if he's at the top of the list, that's obviously not a huge statement either. So you're saying you have Minshew over Baker as well? I think so. Nah, I, I disagree there. I think Baker's proven enough to to kind of be back to being where I feel like he's a starter in the NFL. Yeah, I, I, I still don't think Gardner's a starter. I think he is a like a 25 to 32 type of guy or 25 to like 35 type of guy. Either he's going to be one of your worst starters or he's going to be like you know one of the worst starters that's kind of a bridge guy to a young guy, which is kind of what Indy brought him in to do, right? Like that's yeah. kind of his role. And, and in Philadelphia, it's like, hey, you're here for Jalen Hurts insurance and here to kind of teach them. And, yeah, if you play, we'll feel okay about you for a couple of weeks. And, of course, Richardson got knocked out for the full season. That that made Gardner a starter. And I thought he was solid. He was fine. But to me, like I said, he's like the 25 to like 35 range where you feel really good about having the best backup in the league. But as a starter, like I, I don't think he gets anybody excited. Whereas Baker, I think he showed enough in Tampa Bay to me more like in the, you know, the 15 to 22 range of quarterbacks. So I have him ranked a little bit ahead. I love the Mayfield story this past season. Everybody loves a comeback. It feels like he's grown up a little bit too and just overall behavior and everything else. I I just still feel I'd need to see like back-to-back seasons of that from him. I'm still not sold. Well, if Minshew, I would say I need to see a full season in general because it seems like he's good for two games then has a stinker and then – yeah, you know, can bounce back, manage the game at times. But Minshew, like, I think it should be ahead of Tannehill. Yeah. Especially at this point in their career. Like, I disagree with Tannehill being so high. But the point being, like, so you got Justin Fields, you got a 36-year-old coming off a torn Achilles, you got a guy that's undersized that, you know, has his flaws in Baker Mayfield, and you got a guy that I think's more, you know, better suited as a top backup in Gardner Minshew. So if you're trying to improve the quarterback position – Options are slim when it comes to veterans. What about Jameis? <laughs> I just want to see Jameis play just because there's the kind of the car crash aspect of him playing. Because he makes plays every once in a while, too, and it's like these things that blow your mind. Like, what in the hell are you doing? But he does it. I think we all just like Jameis's sound bites and his pregame stuff. So I'm glad that he's found a, lead, uh, you know, a spot in the league as a, as a lovable backup. But there was that game earlier this year where he got in and immediately rolled to the left and then launched the ball all the way to the back right corner. And you're like, oh, my God, that's going to be intercepted. But actually, like, it was a great touchdown catch. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm thinking of, actually. He's a trip. I- I'm fine with him having a spot in the league. I'm fine with him being a backup. But, no, I, I don't – if I was a team looking for a quarterback, I'm not calling Jameis. I'm not calling him to come in and, and do anything, really. I, I, I'm fine with him being in the league, but – like Sam, would you want him backing up Will Levis? Yeah, you would. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just as our backup. Yeah, that'd be some great entertainment. But I mean, in terms of on-field production, I don't know if if he's giving you like a huge boost. I, I mean, he'd be, be better. A, I mean, he'd be a backup over Malik Willis. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say he'd be better than Malik Willis. You know, they have the Logan Whiteside years or whatever. So yeah, you know what? Actually, when I asked that question, I was like, you know what? I would take Jameis for the vibes. Mm-hmm. Him and Will Levis would be a fun combo i feel like okay yeah i'm actually in on that i think he would i think he'd give him some grief about the mayo and the coffee maybe and eating bananas with the peels on it i think he'd get that right out of his system he'd probably do a good job of putting him over as a leader too yeah Jameis just seems popular though like i I worry about that with my backup quarterbacks i don't want them to be more popular than my starter so you have portions of the fan base wanting him or the players wanting him 
because he seems almost too. I don't know if I can say too good to be a backup because I don't think he's too good to be a backup, but he's too popular to be a like a. The second your starter does something bad, it's like, hey, let's put in Jameis. Let's see what he could do. I mean, I don't know how Saints fans felt, but like, yeah, like in in New Orleans this year, like, what the hell are we doing with Derek Carr? Let's put Jameis in. At least he's exciting. Like, I would hate to watch Derek Carr, you know, dink and dunk four yards down the field and and like do his mannerisms on the sideline and then just wear his eyes, you know, his mascara and just have those really dark <laughs> eyes, like. Put Jameis in if you're going to do that. At least Will Levis would be throwing bombs. So you would Jameis would be like, hell yeah, that's my guy. Taking chances. You throw in a pick, Jameis like, yeah, but you took a shot. That's all that matters. Did you – you guys, you're on social media a lot. There was that video, it was like earlier in the season, that where they were showing him doing his workouts with the Saints where they, you know, they do this drill where they're like, you know, making contact on you while, you know, he's trying to – look for reads but he's like he's kind of like yelling and grunting and i don't know if you're talking remember, remember seeing this but his off-season training is amazing yeah he's had like four straight years or maybe even longer than that of whoever his trainer is i don't know if he's a troll or what but like <laughs> it's just one of his boys from back home just throws like cushions at him and yeah. like they try to just like smack him with noodles and- yeah i mean it, it's just it makes me laugh actually i'm just watching it it's probably making him better i don't know i don't think it's making him better but i think it's made him more popular because i think that's kind of when the Jameis is so quirky thing happened is like when there was the video of him you know in his off-season drills and like running through the running back uh, trying to (laughs) hold on to the ball and fumbling like i think that made him the lovable quirky backup (laughs) i would like to imagine that Jameis just isn't even practicing he's just going out into a onto a field with his buddy and having him throw cushions at him and then just leaving <laughs> taking the video and going hey, let's get this for tiktok right quick and yeah yes. we'll go and then yeah. of course that whole deal against atlanta when they didn't take a knee and they they gave the ball to uh jamal williams and uh he his press availability afterwards where he was just like very proudly like no man we decided as a team this is what's best this is what's gonna be good and him and the reporter having the semantics battle like they're trying to ask a question and he's just yeah i'm a grown man he's like like, yeah i'm gonna be respectful to you yeah Yeah. i'll I'll be respectful i'm being (laughs) respectful and god there's a whole uh thing i love him I, i i need him on my team just for that it's uh the vibes didn't equal winning though in, in with New Orleans though. It's not like the, the backup and him being so happy go lucky motivated the boys to win though. So I don't know if I would take him in Nashville or not. It, it's one of those things that if you're winning, it's probably funny. But if the moment you're losing, you're like, get this clown out of here. Yeah, we I talked about Mayfield, you know, and my questions of can he do two seasons in a row now I look forward to Joe Flacco and I'm like that's definitely a quarterback I'm not confident can do two seasons in a row like he did if you're Joe Flacco do you want to do two seasons in a row yeah now that's a good point do you not just ride off into the sunset here comeback player of the year you had your moment like the Browns aren't going to bring you back which by the way there's rumors out there the Browns are going to be the the opponent of the Eagles in Brazil. Mm. To which everyone's saying, please lock up Deshaun Watson. Don't <laughs> let him go down there around those Brazilian women. Like, just leave him at home. Or if you do transport him, strap him up like Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. Put the mask on him. Restrain him. Wasn't there chatter about chatter of him maybe getting traded? To whom? I know. Who's going to want to take that contract, right? Yeah, no one, no one's going to trade for Deshaun Watson. Nobody. But it, but what it exposed was maybe the Browns 
do understand like man what a we made a bad move here can we try to shop him around they're not going to find takers though like you said it's almost like do you just cut the cost like if you're the browns do you just try to cut the cost and and either keep flacco another year and draft a quarterback or, or what but like i mean yeah you it's the the sunken cost fallacy do you keep investing do you keep trying to like overcome this bad investment do you chase to try to get out of the hole with it, or do you move on? Because the rest of their team, at least this past year, said, like, hey, this team's good enough to win a Super Bowl, and the quarterback play wasn't good enough. Like, Flacco was solid, whatever, but he was ultimately what undid them in the playoffs with his two pick sixes. And the defense didn't play well against Stroud either, but they they, they seem championship-level good. And you would think, like, having a $240 million quarterback would make sure that position was solid as well. And it's not. It's not. So, like, Justin Fields, like, he's an upgrade over Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're the Browns, you would you would kill for a Justin Fields, probably. Or maybe there's fans in Cleveland that look at Deshaun Watson and they're just like, hey, one more year. We'll give him one more year and, you know, let him knock the rust off and come back and he'll be fully healthy and we'll give him a chance. Maybe that's what they're saying. Maybe they haven't given up on him yet. How many seasons did he end up sitting out? Was it two? Yeah, because he got suspended. Well, he basically set out with the Texans. They benched him slash like, hey, we're parting ways. Well, you're you're deactivated. So he set out that year, and then, yeah, he got suspended for, what, the first 12 games of the next year? So, I mean, like, you know, basically, what, 16 games plus 12? I mean, he missed 28 games of action. Yeah. Came back and was pretty bad those five games two years ago, and then was – not very good last year either, except against the Titans. Yeah. He kicked our ass. That's the only good game he's played in two years. He kicked our ass. So, God, that's hard to believe, man. It's a lot of time that's passed. Because, I mean, he was he was the guy in Houston, man. He I understood how much he was valued, but that's a lot of time away from the game. And just wonder where his head is at this point, too. The sunk cost fallacy – is something that, you know, sports teams always have to kind of consider. And a lot of times they'll be a little too stubborn or too slow to admit when they're wrong. And, like, very few organizations, very few college programs know when the time to cut the tie actually is. We're talking about that, you know, last segment with Penny Hardaway and Jerry Stackhouse. Do you just keep investing and keep investing? And, hey, this guy's turning around. Most of the time they don't. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh did, but he was running a pretty elaborate cheating scandal. A cheating operation. Yes. He, he had it kind of figured out. He, he knew everybody's plays. But, like, with quarterbacks, it, it's gotten a little bit better. You know, I think the Rams kind of did it with Goff. Of course, the Cardinals did it with getting rid of Rosen. But usually you just let the quarterback hang around a little too long. For God's sake, the Jets were still running out Zach Wilson last year. And, like, they could have went and got Joe Flacco. If you put Joe Flacco on that Jets team this year, that version of Joe Flacco, do they not make the playoffs if they make the move in, like, week four or five? Like, Aaron Rodgers went down the very first possession of week one. Yeah. You had, you know, three or four weeks to be like, okay, this isn't going to work. Zach Wilson's the same old guy. 
Let's make a move. Let's go out. Let's bring in a veteran. Instead, they're like, hey, you know, we spent the second overall pick on this guy. Rodgers says he could trade him up. We think he could be the quarterback of the future, blah, 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 blah. And they wasted an entire season. If Joe Flacco played like he did in Cleveland on the Jets with that defense and Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, that team probably wins nine or ten games and wins a couple playoff games. Or at least a playoff game. Yeah. But instead, the old sunk cost fallacy. They're like, hey, we, we invested in Zach Wilson. Let's give him time. And it sounds like the Jets may try to shop Zach Wilson around. Does, does he just fade away? I mean, I just don't think – I'm not sure anybody's willing to take the shot on him. They just haven't seen enough. Zach Wilson for Deshaun Watson. Who says no? Because <laughs> you say that trade him. For who? I know. To whom? Who the hell wants Zach Wilson? But when you ask if someone wants him, like – Josh Rosen and Zach Wilson aren't that different in terms of, like, right. privileged pretty boys that, like, you don't even know if they love football really. But, like, you had four teams, five teams keep kicking the tires on Josh Rosen because he was a top ten talent. Zach Wilson was a top ten talent. He went he went number two. Now, you could argue about whether or not he was actually good enough to go number two. But, yeah, somebody will take a chance on him and have him on a as a backup thinking they could fix him. Which... He might not be above redemption. Like, I'm not going to act like he's had the best coaches in New York either. Kind of like Justin Fields in Chicago. I don't think Justin Fields has had the best offensive coaching in in Chicago. Yeah. Now, do I think he goes to Pittsburgh and gets that? No. But if you tell me Justin Fields ends up in Denver with Sean Payton, all of a sudden I think, uh, you know, Justin Fields would be in his best position to succeed. Same for Zach Wilson. You know, get away from Robert Sala and whoever the hell is coaching their offense, LaFleur or whatever go somewhere else and and get coached up wouldn't be the worst idea that's another that's another guy and a team that's another team that's given up on him is Trubisky he's kind yeah. of in that yeah. that group too yeah yeah which he's stuck from the get-go which yeah I mean you know but he also I don't think got good coaching he went from what Chicago to Pittsburgh Buffalo in between okay Buffalo and he actually looked decent in Buffalo and yeah. people had kind of talked themselves into him being saved but like that was system and coaching, and all of a sudden he looked a little better. Yeah. Maybe that's how Andy Reid continues the dynasty. He'll bring in Zach Wilson. He'll bring in Trubisky, coach him up, and then, you know, get some mid-round picks for him in a couple years. Speaking of which, have you – my wife showed this to me. Have you seen this stuff floating around? I didn't even know Mahomes has a has a brother. Not Jackson. I was going to say, yeah. No, Where no. have you been? No, one that's a football player that's uh, – Got a different name. We'll have to look this he's, up. He's not a Mahomes. No, I think it's Edwards or something. He, uh, but Patrick Mahomes Senior is the father, and uh, yeah, he played in the Ivy League at Brown, and now he's transferring to Rice. He's a wide receiver, I think. I don't think he's a quarterback, but I was like, God, I've not heard of this dude at all, which kind of surprises me given how much swirls around Patrick Mahomes. But Graham Walker. That's it, Walker, not Edwards Walker. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, a lot going on in that Mahomes household. Also a sister, Mia Randall. You know, Patrick Patrick is a real success story. <laughs> he really is. He's a real success story. That, that guy's good. That guy's good. And now, you know, he can he can go and help coach up Zach Wilson and, you know, turn his, save his career, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Add, add some new adversity on his plate. He didn't need receivers. Patrick Mahomes had it, had it rough enough coming up. He'll figure it out. Sam sent us to break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.
a brand. Today we got the Tennessee baseball home opener against UNC Asheville. Bob, you said you're making the the trek over to Lindsey Nelson today. Yes, got some porch access, so um, yeah, which will be a first for me. So I'm looking forward to it. The weather doesn't look like it's going to be too bad. So uh, yeah, I'm going to go for a while. See, uh, not sure the game's going to be that close, but who knows? Uh, sounds like Asheville's. 0-3 and, and taking a beating so far. So, LeVar Ball ain't the only big baller, Sam. We got <laughs> big baller Bob over here. Triple B's. <laughs> porch access. All right. Yeah. We'll have to give some new updates on the uh, on the renovations, Bob. Yes. I will do it. I'll let you know. Yeah, UNC Asheville went to Georgia. Got beat pretty good down there. Dropped all three. Of course, you know what Tennessee did. Went two and one over in Texas. But the home opener for Lindsey Nelson, I think it's more about, you know, obviously Tennessee and what they do. Sam, do we have an announced starting pitcher today? Uh, They haven't announced anything yet. Um, I think you'll see a variety of guys. I I think you'll probably see them kind of do a little bit of a, a game by committee here. I would guess you probably see action from four or five different guys. Yeah, maybe today. You know, you play again tomorrow as well. You play ETSU tomorrow. And maybe tomorrow is a better case for this. But, like, tomorrow I think, you know, I'm fine with all hands on deck tomorrow. You know, not name Beam, not name Russell. And if you want to give, you know, a rest up to Seacrest after he started, you know, maybe that's fine too. But, like, I imagine that's kind of a scheduled bullpen day for a lot of guys anyways. I don't know exactly what the – the routine is for baseball players at the college level, you know, in terms of throwing and then stretching your arm out and getting out and having some long toss and bullpen sessions or whatever. But I imagine if you pitched on Saturday or Sunday, you'd be ready to go for at least a couple innings on Wednesday. I know as the season progresses and you get into SEC play that you then, you know, kind of change the way you approach the midweek games. But I think we're early enough in the season now. And our next opponent this weekend, Albany, I'm going to guess is not very good at baseball either. I'm gonna guess they're not like a great team. Yeah, I don't. I have no idea about Albany either, but I would guess. I would guess the same. As and well, I, I would say the same next weekend against Bowling Green. I'm gonna guess they're not great either. So, like these first two weeks, I'm fine with throwing these guys as many two or three inning appearances as we can, you know, get them to see who can respond in game, you know, game situations. Who can respond? You know, bringing in somebody with guys on base. Because I assume your offense is going to be able to come out and and score eight to ten runs every game. I'm looking at the uh, the box score from last year when you played Asheville. You, you you pitched eight guys in that game, so I think you'll see just a bunch of different guys. Yeah. Some guys that you might not have heard of. You know, some young guys, some freshmen and sophomores that. L- looking back last year at the box score, like of the eight guys that pitched, how many were key contributors in the bullpen? Last year. So, um, last year you had Xander, Xander Seacrest got the start in that game. Uh, Aaron Combs, a guy that you saw this weekend, he pitched a little bit. A.J. Russell got in the game. Uh, our guy Kirby Connell pitched a little bit. Friend of the program. Friend of the program. 
Uh, Hollis Fanning, Zach Joyce, Bryce Jenkins. So, yeah, you, five, you got a bunch of guys. Five of the eights. The last three I don't really remember having key parts last year. So, yeah, kind of use it as a dress audition, like a, a yeah. little rehearsal. and 100%. like I, that's That's fine. You know, I, I don't know. Last year maybe you had a better idea of who your three stars are going to be in terms of Beam, Burns, and and Dolander. Lindsay. But, like, or Dollander, excuse me, uh, not Lindsay, Dollander. But this year you're still needing to find that third guy. And you're also needing to find, like, the order of who's coming out of the bullpen. So, like, th- that's what makes these early season games interesting to me. And, you know, Vitello's got it down to a science. I'm not giving Vitello any advice he probably hasn't thought of. But that's something I'm watching for today is, A, does the offense get to just tee off at home? It's going to be about 60 degrees by the time the game gets started. Maybe you're getting down into the, you know, the low 50s. But so the ball might not be necessarily flying like it would on a hot day. But can the offense come out and score 10 runs? And, like, what combination of pitchers do we get and who performs well in their first action? That's what you need to keep an eye on, Bob, today as you're out there. I will. I will. I'm shaking a- hands and being a big baller. I'm going to be looking forward to seeing Billy Barrels. Yeah, wear a helmet out there in the field, in the left field line, honestly. You know, you might get might get killed by a Billy Amick home run. How do you think that'd look, me coming with a helmet on? <laughs> Hard hat Bob coming yeah. in there. Bob the Builder. Bob the Builder. I, 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 you could just say Bob you're like the, the project manager for the, you know, for the new bleachers in left field. I'm just making sure everything's looking good. We'll get you a morning show sticker and you slap it on the side of it. We'll yeah. do, a little, do a little promotion, too. Uh, yeah. You can whip that together. Well, you gotta give me give me a little bit more time than you got no. a neon vest in that in that <laughs> yeah. closet of yours. No, I don't. But I could. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it though. That's uh, uh, again, baseball feels like spring. It's a little cool still, but you know if it gets up around 60, the sun's out. I'll I'll work with that for sure. Over under eight and a half runs for Tennessee's team total. Sam, you taking the over or the under? Uh, I'll take the over. Yeah, I mean. Offense showed up uh, this weekend. I mean, you got 11 in their final game down in Texas. So, I mean, I think that's it's got to be a, a sign. And I think you got power in this lineup that you kind of didn't have maybe last year in terms of just overall one through nine. So, I think you'll definitely see a strong offensive performance tonight. Seems kind of crazy to fly back from Texas and then play the next day. Yeah, a couple of days later, yeah. Well, I mean, I imagine they didn't fly back after the game, right? Or did No, they, they did. I had a couple of my classes yesterday. Really? Mm-hmm. Got on a plane like at 2 a.m.? I guess. I guess most of them didn't show up. Only a couple. Were I mean, there. I, I mean that's tough though. I mean, like, because the game didn't get over till close to you know eleven yeah, o'clock midnight. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if they just took a flight like right after, got home, just middle shower of the night. and do all that. So yeah, I mean, like, I imagine they were. I imagine they didn't depart until like two a.m. at earliest. I mean, three a.m. I don't know. Yeah. For chartering flight, you know, private flights for the baseball team for that, I, I don't know. Definitely a quick turnaround. So yeah, maybe the offense be is a little sluggish today. I don't know, but I'm excited. I'm glad Bob's getting out there with the eye in the sky reports on the renovations. They've got a couple guys. Uh, I was looking at UT Sports' site, and they were talking about preseason all-conference selections for UNC Asheville. They got a kid, Dylan Baycott. Wonder if that's any relation to Armando. Armando. <laughs> Dylan Baycott. Yeah, he's a uh, outfielder. Maybe six nine and got some crazy hair they got one kid that robbie burnett they say is uh for preseason player of the year 
in the conference. Okay. Just looking at Dylan Baycott, I'm going to say he is not related. <laughs> Just looking at him. Okay. Now I understand, you know, blended families and, you know, different connections and all these things, but I'm going to go on record as saying Dylan is not related to Armando. It's just such a interesting, unique last name. I, I don't really care who's on UNC Asheville, but, like, it is interesting in these games, now in the age, you know, the age of the transfer portal, if you do have a baller on the other side. Yeah. Keep that relationship. That's how you kind of got Chase Dollander, right? So Yeah, I mean, some of these games, I guess that's a good point, John. Like, some of these are kind of almost auditions for both teams in terms of, like, young guys on Tennessee and young guys – or just guys on UNC Asheville that are trying to get to a big-name program. If I'm Tony Vitello, I'm scouring the guys all offseason of who I want, and I'm like, hey, can we get these guys on the schedule? <laughs> right. Yeah, check out this Robbie Burnett guy. I mean, if he's getting player of the year votes. Bring them to Knoxville and wine them and dine them. Make sure you shake their hands and talk to them and compliment them and plant that seed. I mean, that's kind of what everyone wanted with the UConn tight end, right? He came up here and bought out. Like, hey, you keep an eye on that guy. And then, of course, you get the transfer portal, and, and a lot of Tennessee fans were in love with him. Not the worst idea. Have somebody ball out, and, hey, you'll look good in orange next year, buddy. Especially, like, pitching staffs. So I feel like that's easy to kind of get guys down there that you know, have kind of fallen through the cracks. Take somebody's ace, and you can be a three-inning bullpen guy type of thing but in a higher situation i'm excited to, to see the baseball team what five games this week five games this week yeah let's go five and oh sam let's go to break white claw oh a new bracket just dropped over on espn Bracketology season, baby. Tennessee holding on as a two seed in Purdue's region. Utah State, Nebraska, who they're set to play. Florida stock up seven seed. Kentucky stock up five seed. Anything in college basketball tonight? Anything from last night with Houston, Iowa State we need to talk about? Because both those teams are going to be tough outs if you get matched up with them. And Houston – very well could be the one seed in your region. Yeah, before we get to that, though, let's comparison shop a little. Since we talked about Lenardi, let's get Palm just dropped one this morning as well. A new bracket, Tennessee number two. I think we talked about this earlier there. He's got them in the east against UConn. I don't like any bit of that. Um, so Palm's got us in the east. Lenardi's got us in the west, Midwest playing Purdue. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you had to pick, Sam, UConn or Purdue, we all take Purdue, right? Ah. In terms of every who single play? Day. Every single day I'm taking Purdue, I honestly. I want no part of UConn. <laughs> I, I agree. A Purdue-Tennessee Elite Eight, though, would be dreadful in the sense of you'd have bad flashbacks to the most beloved team of the last decade, you know, getting knocked out there. But also something would have to give between Painter and Barnes, who both have kind of yeah. intertwined in terms of college basketball, March Madness, kind of underachievements. Painter even more so as he's never broken through and gotten to that elusive Final Four. It's also hard to beat a team twice, so I'll just I don't, take I that. don't buy that. I, <laughs> I would always rather be the team that's 1-0. You wouldn't? No. What? People I, get swept all the time, B. I like the revenge factor, especially in college basketball. I think that definitely plays. What about the I own you factor? One game sample size. 
Well, yeah, I know, but it's You're better hungry than hungry dogs zero run game. faster. Uh, but like, what? So what? What about if a team's beating you five times in a row? Is it hard to beat yeah. somebody six times in a row? And yeah. what? At what point does that switch? Because like I've always heard, it's hard to beat a team three times in a row, even though in the NFL. There's like it's like a 67 percent likelihood that if you win the first two, you're going to win the third one. So I've never bought that. And you, as a Titans fan, you weren't alive. But like the <laughs> Titans beat Jacksonville three times on the way to the Super Bowl. That was the only three losses Jacksonville had all year were the three losses to the Titans. So maybe I just learned it from a, a young age that that's a nonsense phrase. But at what point does it switch? Because if I've lost to somebody ten times in a row, I'm not going to have a lot of confidence to play them the eleventh time. But in your little fantasy world, it's hard to be a team 11 times in a row, which is true. But if I give you the first 10 already, you know. 10's a trend. One is just uh, maybe chance. You know? One's revenge. What about <laughs> yeah. two? Because people say it's hard to be a team three times in a row. I think one is better for me than two or three. Just wondering. Because I hate that's one of the phrases I hate the most <laughs> in sports. I always want to be the guy that's got a win already under my belt. Like if Tennessee goes, you know, did it look very hard to beat Vanderbilt a second time on, on Saturday? Well, it's Vandy. I mean, come I'm on. just saying, was it very tough to beat them a second time? Do you feel worse about like Kentucky coming to Knoxville? Yeah. <laughs> because you beat them in Lexington, I you do. feel worse about it? I do, yeah. If Kentucky had kicked our ass in Lexington, I'd feel a lot worse about them coming to Knoxville. I really wouldn't. Maybe uh, yeah, maybe that's where we disagree. I feel uh, like th- think about Texas A&M. I'm fired up about Texas uh, yeah, A&M. I, th- I think here. we're going to destroy Texas A&M. I bet that Alabama fans aren't excited about us coming to Tuscaloosa after the way we kicked their ass in Knoxville. I bet they're not. I bet they're not excited about that prospect. Oh, I think they're excited. I I would disagree. I th- I think they. They're just foolish enough to be excited. You don't think they're looking at that game like, ah, oh, man, that's going to be tough for, for us to hold them off or I wish we were playing somebody else? Well, I think it depends on what happens to them here in this coming week. If they lose a couple, yeah, maybe then they start to get down. But if they if they win. Yeah. See, I'd say the opposite. If they lose a couple, they might be like, well, at least we got a chance to, to beat the team that's right directly competing with us, whereas now we're chasing them and we got the opportunity. We, I, I feel very good about our chances of going down to Tuscaloosa because – we beat them so badly in Knoxville. I'm like, hey, I got all the confidence in the world because of the matchups we've already seen. We know that we can do certain things to them. We know that they give it up pretty easily in the paint. That's how I feel about it, at least. I was just wondering, because you said it's hard to be a, be a team No, nah, I mean, so. some of it is matchup dependent, obviously. Do you think Nick Saban too, was coming like, in here on a 15-game winning streak? and be like, oh, you know, it's tough to beat a team 16 times in a row. <laughs> Or do you think it's like, hey, you know what? We got a pretty good idea we're going to be able to beat this team. We know they quit. You think Florida fans during their streak looked and said, ah, you know, eight times in a row, that ninth one's going to be the toughest. Surely some of them are in their game week feeling like they're got to just catch us at one point. They're due for one. (laughs) It's hard to be a team nine times in a row. There was that tennis player who, like, lost, like, 30-something times in a row to a guy and, like, beat him finally. I was like, no one beats me 28 times in a row. That's it. <laughs> I've got the same opponent 30 times in tennis. A long time. They've got a lot of tours. It's not just the majors, man. It's okay. not just the majors. They play like, in Cincinnati and Miami. They, yeah. they travel around. Well, anyways, what were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about Palms Bracket. Purdue oh, or UConn. Right. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> so you'd rather play Purdue because Purdue beat us. I want to get that sour taste out of my mouth. Yeah, I think a lot of our team would want to as well. Well, we've had and we yeah had a up up close and personal look at them, right? UConn, I you just, got film on them. Yeah, UConn, I just man, 
They are... And they have Kling Kong, too. Remember that. Um, they uh, So Palm also has... He's a little tougher on the SEC teams in terms of seeding besides Tennessee. And he's got Alabama at three, which is, I think, what Lenardi has. But then he's got Auburn at five, Kentucky and South Carolina at six, Florida at eight, and then Texas A&M at 11. Texas A&M is one of the last four in. I, I do love that Florida kind of holds the key. Florida and Kentucky both hold the key to our chances of being the one seed and winning the SEC championship. Yeah. You need you – need, like ideally, you need two L's for Alabama. You need, you need Kentucky to beat them this weekend at Rupp. How high scoring is that game going to be? Two elite offenses and two pretty bad defenses. Does that game get into the 90s? The high 80s? Like, what is the over-under on that going to be? 170? Yeah, I, I would say that. I, You know, and the way it goes with Alabama, it just all depends on how the threes fall in for them. Although they shot against uh, – got against A&M on Saturday. They shot 42 three-pointers, hit 18 of them. It's – it's not a bad percentage, but you, you don't have to have a great percentage to make that happen if you're hitting just a portion of them. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, 18 of 42 is... It's 40-plus percent. Yeah, it's, I was going to say, that's a pretty damn good percent. That's what uh, Will always has been his rule of thumb with Alabama is if they can shoot above, I think he said, like 38% from three uh, with a certain number of threes, they're going to win. Well, yeah, I mean, that feels like anybody in the country, especially with the... The number they shoot, I mean, if they jack up 30-something a game and hit 40%, I mean, that's that's going to be a yeah. – they're going to have a pretty big advantage there. Yeah. Um, you talked about, before we went into this, you talked about Iowa State. So, let's, let's segue into last night's game, Iowa State and Houston, for just a minute. We've talked about how Houston looks very, very legit, very strong. It was the first time I've watched them for an extended period of time last night. First of all, shout-out to them for – breaking out the five slamma jamma throwback uniforms they should keep those like permanent those things are they're badass they looked great but that's a good team man and iowa state is you know they're trending at about a three seed uh, they're they're very i don't know any of their players quite honestly but they're uh they're very very good um and we were talking earlier about coaches i think john you were saying it like in any industry but in this case coaching you know they some somewhere they deserve their shot to succeed. I mean, I don't know much about T.J. Otzenberger. Was he an assistant at Iowa State, or what was his story? Because it's the first I'd heard of him when he started with them was it last season, I think. Yeah, I mean, like he looks like he should maybe be national coach of the year because Iowa State. Yeah. You know, I guess he set the groundwork last year, right? Because they went, they went from awful to pretty solid last year. Right. He was the head coach at UNLV prior to that. He was an Iowa State assistant in 15 and 16 and was there as an associate head coach from 10 to 13. So I, I imagine at some point that overlaps with his time with uh, with Hoiberg when Hoiberg had a pretty solid team. I think that would have been around 15 and 16. Yeah, and then who they brought in the prom, right? Wasn't he the guy in between? Yeah, and, and he, he kind of ran to the ground a little bit. Yeah, God, he went back to Murray State. Which maybe the Iowa State good year when they got upset in the first round. They were supposed to be really good. It was like 16, 17, is that right? Or I don't remember. Yeah. But either way, yeah, no, he 
He was a coach of the year at the Summit League whenever he was at uh, South Dakota State. So, I mean, he's, he's got some credentials. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're good. These are I, – I, I was saying to Sam before the show, all I could think about when I was watching that game was, like, how do we match up against two teams like that? And you touched on it, John. I agree. I think – I could see Tennessee adapting to Houston's style of play. I mean, it's, it's rough and tumble, but um, – but, boy, they're – their point guard shed I saw Kelvin Sampson making a you know a pitch that he should be the best point guard in the country this year he should be the one winning the koozie award etc uh he may be right I just I you know we talk about Zakai and we love Zakai and he's in that top 10 of consideration for the koozie award but just him going against someone like Shed, that's a, that's a different game physically for sure. I would just be worried about playing Houston or Iowa State just because you worry about the PTSD, you worry about relapsing for Rick Barnes. He's done so good in terms of in terms of adapting and adopting and and thriving with offense, right? Like, hey, this team's all of a sudden really good on offense, and and Barnes has kind of been modernized a bit there or came into the modern game, I would be nervous that he'd look at Kelvin Sampson in Houston and be like, that's who I want. I'm going to take just that one hit of 60 to 60. Come on. Just give me one hit of a game in the high 50s. Come on. Just just one little taste. Yeah. Just one little taste. I'll be fine. I can handle it. Next thing you know, we're back to playing two bigs at one time and, and grinding out the shot clock and getting some post touches. Connect with like seven points. Yeah, yeah. Connect's got to play under control and <laughs> work the ball into the post. Make sure Adu gets a touch every time. Yeah. Just one little taste. Come on. Come on. That Just, game that game fired me up, though, last night because that was like – that was March-level intensity. That was a good game. Um, we probably would go two bigs if we played Houston, too. <laughs> They're just so small. <laughs> yeah, that would be a that would be a nightmare if we just. But they were just went back to playing our old brand of basketball. Just one little hit. God. Come on, let's get a taste. We had to match up with them. Come on. <laughs> but I could just see them. You know, like I was watching them last night, man. They were beasts on the board. You know, just by going after the ball, a lot of like kind of Tobey Awaka style. Yeah, they're physical intensity. for a small team for yeah. sure. Waka 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 waka. <laughs> um, and then. Okay, they're not ranked anymore, but what the hell is up with Virginia? I mean, like I said, we, we talked about this yesterday. They were three-and-a-half-point dogs against Virginia Tech. They lost by over 30, and they've averaged 45 points a game. You want to talk about your worst nightmare, man. Do you imagine that product if you're a Virginia fan? I know they won a natty back in 19, but come on, man. That's horrible. They're projected as a 10 seed still. They're still a tournament-eligible team, according to the bracketeer. How, how long does a national championship buy you? Because it feels like they've gone to being completely irrelevant after the national championship. It feels sure. like they have been a, pretty much a non-factor that coincides, of course, with the ACC becoming a non-factor almost nationally, right? Like no one really cares about the ACC anymore. Maybe that you know, also coincides with Dick Vitale kind of stepping away from ESPN and not telling us how much he loves the ACC and how awesome it is and Coach K and all that stuff. But like – Virginia's an afterthought in an afterthought conference, and their style of play is, is gross. So how, how long does a national championship buy you? It's true. It's true because it's uh, 
you can play in the 50s if you're winning championships or you're like yeah. a top 10 team. I can't play in the 50s whenever we're not doing that, though. Like, I can't score 40 points while we, we get 70 dropped on us. A, a bad Virginia Tech team. It's amazing how much Tony Bennett's emulated his dad's coaching style. Um, you know, and they got, he got Wisconsin to a Final Four, but it just feels like in this day and age that, that type of game just doesn't play. Not if you're trying to recruit. Not if you're trying to win. Um, but – Wait, his dad coached basketball? Dick Bennett. Yeah. He coached oh. at uh, Wisconsin. He made his uh, – most of his success was at Wisconsin Green Bay, and then he was the head coach at Wisconsin. Uh, got them to the Final Four. It was like early 2000-ish, I believe. I think I think it was the year Michigan State won it all. There were two Big Ten teams there. I thought his dad was the the singer. Tony? The 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 way you look tonight, the I've got you under my skin. I, I thought his dad was that Tony Bennett, no? Well, that'd be his late dad, then, if that were the case. But R.I.P. Rest in peace. But uh, no, he was a. But he coached the same way that grind out. You know, winner gets first one to fifty type of game. It's horrible. Keep those guys away from Rick Barnes. <laughs> Don't let him run around with the old roughneck crowd he used to. You know what happens whenever you start hanging out with those bad friends. The bad influences, they, they get you. <laughs> All of a sudden, you have a couple drinks, and next thing you know, you're you're shirtless and running through the quad. Keep Rick Barnes away from those defensive type of teams. I would be worried about Houston just because I, I've said it feels like a souped-up version of FAU last year, and I know what FAU did to us. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this team can tap into, you know, some aggression down the stretch. And I'm hoping that the veterans can rally like the last cry and and their last chance, the last run and everything, and we don't have big Uros here to mess it up anymore, and let's go. Like I'm hoping tonight when Tennessee goes and plays Missouri that, again, it's the final tune-up before you get to the stretch championship run. Because Saturday against A&M should be a fun game. The way they beat you, that should be your revenge game, Sam. Hard to beat Tennessee twice mm-hmm. in one season. Amen. Hopefully the crowd shows up and is ready for revenge. And then that, that sparks you into these final four games, which then gets you to the SEC tournament and, of course, the, the national tournament when you're trying to go and make a final four and win a championship. Tonight's your last tune-up, and I hope that they kind of take out last year's frustrations against Missouri, who who clipped you, clipped you at home, gave yeah. Rick Barnes one of his three losses. Take and, out last year's frustrations. Well, also, they turn around beats in the <laughs> SEC tournament, too. I don't know if you remember that. I don't know if they remember that. So they beat you two times in a row, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah. Um, Final thoughts. Big game tonight to watch. UConn at Creighton. Yeah, UConn only three and a half point favorites. But I I don't think it's a big game in the sense of I don't think Tennessee's catching UConn. No, no, no. And I think Creighton can – or UConn, rather, can sustain a loss. It's not going to make much difference. But but I'd like to see how they do in a hostile environment like that and – if they if they take a team like Creighton down like they did Marquette, then uh, then I'm starting to get really concerned. If you know doing that on the road, but uh, yeah, the GI Jake Show coming up next. Don't touch the dial. Stay locked in on Fan Run Radio. Jeez.